0: Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting the 1500th episode of Market Foolery. LinkedIn Jobs matches people to your role based on more of who they really are, their skills, interests, and even how open they are to new opportunities. For $50 off your first job post, go to linkedin.com/fool. That's linkedin.com/fool. Terms and conditions apply. It's Wednesday, October 10th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. joining me in studio today Jason Moser. And Matt Argusinger, it's the 1500th episode. That's incredible. Who'd have figured? It's kind of crazy. You know what's also crazy? Sears is still technically <laughs> a standalone public company.
1: <laughs> oh. And we're gonna to get to Sears. Huh. I think its time is limited. I feel like we're still on an upward trajectory with this show, though. So I, you know, two very different. Uh, two very different pictures.
0: I like to think we're going to last a little bit longer, <laughs> but we'll see. Uh, we're going to get to Sears, we're going to get to Starbucks, Snap. It's an all-S show, apparently. Uh, let's start with the market in general, though, because we we talked about this, Maddie, on Motley Fool Money, the rise of interest rates, the 10-year Treasury is hitting a seven-year high, and not surprisingly, those more sort of those those things in the, that have been shoved in the corner for so long, bonds, are now suddenly more attractive,
2: and uh, we're seeing a healthy amount of volatility today. Yes, the most volatility I think we've seen since February. I mean, it feels like it's been a while. As we tape, Dow is down about 400 points, and it's also just certain parts of the market. If you look at Netflix, for example, we were talking it's down more than 20 percent from its high. Amazon's down almost 15 percent from its high. I don't know what Facebook is, but Facebook's down. I think even lower from its high, and so the the leaders of the market, even before this sort of recent volatility that we've had the past week, uh, have all come down pretty sharply. But this is Jason and I kind of looked at each other this morning and were like, you know, it's about time. <laughs> you know, we just it feels like the the stock market's been grinding higher steadily for for so long this year, and and really going back several years now, and we haven't had as, as much as a even a five percent pullback that feel, that feels rare. So it's nice to see it. Because bond yields, bonds do matter, interest rates do matter. There's now more competition for stocks.
1: Man, I don't know what the problem is. I mean, everything's selling off, that's fine. But you know what is in the green right now, Chris? McCormick. <laughs> I mean, the market knows that at the end of this day, especially at the end of this day, you're going to want to go home and have something flavorful for dinner. And chances are McCormick is going to be playing a part in that. Uh, now watch it we'll finish obviously down in the red after I've jinxed it but um, nice work yeah thanks a lot uh, you know it's Matt uh, Frankel and I were talking about this on Monday's industry industry focus and it is a point now we're seeing long-term rates start to push up a little bit. And the volatility comes into play because it seems like now the bigger institutional investors have these risk-adjusted option, risk-adjusted options to to invest in something other than than stocks, and it makes sense. I mean, if you can get X return for basically zero risk, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of parties that are going to consider that. And so, I think that for us, it doesn't really change our style of investing. But I think it is worth noting, at least that. If you invest like we do, chances are you probably have some nice growth names in your portfolio, and chances are pretty good that those growth names are getting hit pretty hard. It's worth noting that there has been a lot of great expectations pulled forward in a lot of those names. So, those high growth names taking a little bit of a haircut today, it's okay. That's supposed to happen. What I think this really does, it makes the argument for diversification. Diversification is really what helps counter that. And I made a little bit of a joke with McCormick, but frankly, I mean owning McCormick in my portfolio, I feel better knowing that I've got a staid dividend aristocrat to go along with those other high growth names that I hold as well.
0: I think it's a case for diversification in many. It's also a case for having a watch list. I mean, we talk
2: about that a decent amount, and it's for days like this. Absolutely. I, I, about a month ago, I had a long list of stocks. That I've been waiting to buy, and I've stupidly been waiting because they've gone up so much. And <laughs> and what I said was, you know what? I'm going to go in. I know a lot of these companies are at near their highs. Uh, they're up 100% over the last year. I'm going to go buy a little bit of each of them, uh, and knowing that for days like this, or hopefully this, and hopefully this downturn is a little sharper, and I get even better prices. But knowing that there'll be a time for me to eventually double down into those, and that's why I have a watch list. I'm
1: going to make a promise to you right now, both of you guys, that by the end of the day, I will have purchased, I will have added to a position in in something that I own. I don't know what it's going to be yet, but I'm going to click the buy button today. It's going to happen. Share it later, though? Uh, Two days after uh, said transaction occurs. Exactly.
0: Uh, In news that really can't be a surprise to anyone who has a basic understanding of how math works, Sears has hired advisors to help the company prepare for
2: bankruptcy, and shares of Sears down 35% today. Yeah, once you once you dip, there's no one going back. When I say dip, I mean debtor in possession, which is what, <laughs> which is the loan they're seeking, which is a loan that it provides short-term financing. It's the senior of the most senior of debts that you get when you're in bankruptcy just to keep the business and the lights on until, you know, everything can be sorted out. And that's what's happened to Sears. And I think Chris you said it's 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 really no surprise that we're here. I think what's the most surprising to me is actually how we got here because If you stepped back 20 years ago, you could have said, "Okay, the world is changing a little bit. I can see this e-commerce thing going. I can see Walmart and Target having all their success. Sears feels a little behind. The stores are older. The catalog business isn't as strong as it used to be. Eventually, maybe this is a retailer that's not going to be around. But what happened was, it had this weird sort of end to it, which is, Eddie Lampert comes in, and it becomes a story of not just a retailer that's going bad, but a financial engineering story, where. Value investor, you know, a value investor with a great track record at the time comes in. He buys Kmart, then merges Kmart with Sears, and it becomes a real estate play. It becomes an asset play. It becomes, you know, I can raise money, I can pay down debt, I can I can buy back stock, and I can create this vehicle, investment vehicle that would be really successful. But it was always built on a crumbling foundation, which is the Sears business, and all that other stuff didn't put customers back in the store. It stores. You know, declined over time. There was no reinvestment in the, in the core business. And I think that was ultimately what happened. And it's why we're here today with Sears essentially on the verge of bankruptcy. Yeah, the
0: Wall Street Journal had a line today because I, I think it's for people who are not looking at the news every day, the business news every day, for people who are not focused on investing every day. Uh, it's probably easy to just say, well, this is the narrative that has played out over the last 20 years, which is uh, the rise of e-commerce and bricks and mortar going down. Uh, the line in the journal is: the company was not helped by Mr. Lampert's unconventional approach to retailing, and pointing out that, among other things, he really resisted investing in upgrading the stores and and that sort of experience. One other thing I'll throw in there with the financial engineering is the the brands that Sears owned. That was part of Lampert's strategy as well. Was well, if we need a little bit of money, we can sell up. You know they. Sold off the the tool brand that they like had, crashing. and Lands End yeah. was spun off. Yeah. Um, it's uh, I mean, it's it's kind of sad to see, but it's uh, again, I, I was saying this right before we started taping. Uh, I'm not sure what I'm more surprised by: the fact that we've been doing this show for nearly eight years, or that we've been talking about Sears going bankrupt for nearly eight years, and they're they're still in business.
1: And I feel like that headline is just really, it's killing me because it talks about possible bankruptcy. I mean, come on, man. This thing is imminent. <laughs> oh. Just say that they're getting everything in order to go ahead and file for bankruptcy. I mean, it's just it's imminent. It's not possible anymore.
0: Starbucks is in the news, but not because of anything that the company did. Uh, Starbucks is in the news because Bill Ackman has announced that Pershing Square, the fund he runs, uh, Pershing Square has invested $900 million in Starbucks and Ackman, no shrinking violet. He said that he expects shares of Starbucks to double in the next three years. I will just say, from my standpoint, this is the single biggest holding I have in my portfolio is Starbucks and I do not view this as welcome news I just I saw this it's the curse I, it's not even it's not even so much the curse but I just sort of thought you know what I don't need that right now and I'm not I don't even work at Starbucks but I just thought if you're Starbucks management if you are Starbucks board you're looking at Bill Ackman saying well I'm here I've got some ideas uh, let me share with you the wisdom that I share with the people at Chipotle when I took a steak there and Burger King and uh, you know I don't want to dump all over Akron even though I just have many, but <laughs> because the guy has had some success but uh, this this just seems like ultimately more of a distraction for Starbucks management than anything positive
2: I I agree I I, I think Starbucks is a business I'm not I mean I'm sure this is I mean, he's he's investing in less or a little over one percent, I guess, of the shares. I gotta feel this has got to be a passive investment. I mean, I don't know what value he thinks he can add. I mean, in my mind, Starbucks is a business that has a pretty clear trajectory. There's not really a lot wrong with the business. I know growth has been slower, but this isn't a business where I think Ackman's coming in saying, "Oh, here's a problem," or "Here's something that's undervalued," that I I think I can create value or add value to. And again, I. I don't know why we have to keep talking about Bill Ackman. He's definitely a newsmaker, but you start you start tallying up the the, the misses here over the last, say, decade, starting with Target, Herbalife, and then you know Valiant Pharmaceutical, which was multi billion dollars. I mean. J. C. Some, Penny. J C. Penny, yeah. right? I mean, it just the list kind of is building here, and so I, I I share your discomfort as a Starbucks shareholder as well. I'm not sure what Bill Ackman actually brings to the table anymore.
1: Yeah, I think he's just looking for an easy win. Frankly, I mean, I think given the stretch that he's had, and you just listed off some of his bigger failures, but that wasn't all of them. I mean, he's had a really tough go of it lately, and and I think frankly he's just looking for an easy win. And we were talking about this yesterday. I think it's easy enough to get out there and make fun of Ackman. For picking Starbucks, oh, it's no big secret. Everybody knows what Starbucks is, but that's kind of the point too, really. And and I think we talk about this a lot. That really, at the end of the day, those great businesses—they're not secrets. They're out there, right in front of us. And so, I mean, he he. And the reasoning behind this, I mean, he' listed off a lot of qualities that really we like about the business. and uh, so so for me, I mean, yeah, I don't think he's going to go in there and try to turn things around or, or shape their strategy whatsoever because he certainly has a history of, of seeming to think he knows more than he really does. Uh, and, and Starbucks is obviously a very big company, obviously with with uh, management there, already set on a strategy. I guarantee you they know more about the business and its future markets than he ever will. Um, so yeah, to me, I really just think he's looking for an easy win here, and I can't blame him. Starbucks is a is a good business; it's one we like a lot here. I think if you can hang on to it for even longer than three years, then you'll be better off. You think it doubles in th- like? I'm, no, I don't. I'm I think
0: totally root. I would love. I would love to be sitting here in three years doing this show, talking about how wrong I was to doubt Bill Ackman that Starbucks shares had doubled in a three year period. It's such a mature business at this point. As you said, Maddie, the trajectory for Starbucks is pretty clear. If I had to bet, I'm betting it's higher
2: in three years, but it's a 77 billion dollar company. Yeah, I think to me, Starbucks is more of a total return story. You're looking at dividends, you're looking at buybacks, you're looking at a little bit of growth on the top line. You're looking at what they can do in China, but yeah, double in three years. Again, for that to happen, there has to be the dreaded financial engineering or something like that that (laughs) kind of does that. And you know, Ackman kind of does bring that to the table. I hope that's not the case. To me. Starbucks is a steady 10% returner business certainly not a double in three years I'd love to see it
1: but well, see. I think it's it's also worth remembering too I mean Starbucks is probably going to witness a little bit more on the expense line there uh, as it pertains to employees because they continue to revamp the benefits that they offer and I mean just a recent example here was was the child care subsidy and I think they're they're expanding that they're expanding that offering to every employee in the company so I mean as an investor I think you have to applaud that as, a, as an employee I'm sure you love that. It does it perhaps tamp down potential returns in the short run. Yeah. Is it the right thing to do? Yeah. And I think longer term, it, it gives the company more opportunity to succeed, to grow, um, and so those are good things. But it will definitely play into that returns uh, projection over the course of the next three years. I mean, 15% annualized over the next three years. Uh, or, well, no, you're saying no, I mean, double over the next over, three years, that'd be more, years, than that'd 20%. more than that, yeah. Yeah. 15 would be five years. That seems like a really high hurdle. A very high hurdle.
0: You mentioned financial engineering. I'll just say this, I've never sold a single share of Starbucks in all the years I've owned it. If Eddie Lampert joins the board of directors, <laughs> I'm selling some of that stuff. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, quick shout-out to LinkedIn. The right hire can make a huge impact on your business. Speaking of hiring, since we're we're looking back, which one of you was working. was it Maddie, you
2: were working here and you brought Jason in? Like, how did the?
1: Walk oh, me through that that's story. It's a very funny story, yeah. actually. I,
2: I, I had a, we had a mutual friend. Well, so so Jason, you were in, you were your family were in Kazakhstan yeah. at the time, and I had a friend who worked for the State Department who was stationed in Kazakhstan and was a colleague of your wife. Yeah. Uh, and so he, it's just so serendipitous. Like at some point, my friend comes back, uh, and he says uh, he says you know I, I have this friend who who, who enjoys the Motley Fool, uh, you know, and he loves golf. And I ended up meeting Jason. We went and played golf in Georgia, you know. I, Several God, how many yeah. years is that go now? Probably eight and a half, nine years. Yeah, and then I think two years after that, maybe you joined mm-hmm. the Fool?
1: Probably not really. Probably just about a year, I guess, because yeah. I was down there working for Travelers at the time, and I was at Travelers for a year before I said, "See y'all later." That's right. So yeah, fun, fun story. Best, See, best thing that ever happened to the pool. You know, <laughs> it's the best thing that ever happened to me, and I owe a lot of it to you. Uh, and
0: here's the thing about hiring. Uh, if you're in a hiring position, uh, you don't have Matt Argusinger working at your company. You, you don't have Matt working at your company to bring in someone like Jason. And that's why you need LinkedIn, because it's more than the world's largest professional network. It's a better way to find great talent. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. Businesses rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates. And that's what you want. So, just ask any of the hundreds of thousands of businesses who have posted to LinkedIn jobs over the past year. 22 million professionals view and apply to jobs on LinkedIn every week, in every industry, even yours, even mine. Jason didn't, though. Because Maddie brought him in here.
1: Well, no, that's not fair. No, no. <laughs> Jason <laughs> applied like everyone else. He, he, he had was, a link, was LinkedIn really a thing back then? Maybe, oh, maybe? maybe it was. I think Facebook had just kind of taken hold uh, at that point. So who even knows? It's a thing now. So hurry on over
0: to slash Fool for $50 off your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com. Fool. Terms and conditions apply. Shares of Snap are down today. They're down about 13% this week, and the stock is hitting an all time low. Uh, There are a few reasons for this, Jason. I have to believe that one of them is the memo from CEO Evan Spiegel to employees that was subsequently leaked to the media, uh, in which, uh, in the memo, Spiegel argues, among other things, that Snap's competitive advantage is that it is not a social media company. It's
1: not. Yeah. What is it? <laughs> I think that's the big question. After you read <laughs> we that memo, asking that question I, for
0: years. I, <laughs> I don't think that's helping to have the CEO say we're not a social media company when, if you polled a hundred people who use Snap, ninety-nine of them would say, yeah, it's a social media company.
1: I think it, it is. I think he is in just a a weird place right now. I mean, there's a lot to go through with that memo, and having read it a couple of times. I mean it seems to me at least that at this point not only is is Evan Spiegel in over his head but but he really doesn't even quite know how to define his company at this point because you know on the roadshow before they went public it was a social network he corrected everybody and really they filed the IPO and they're a camera company all right well you're a camera company what does that mean and now they're going through and they're talking about it, this memo the the phrase fastest way to communicate was brought up twenty six times in that memo. And and that basically was the North Star. That's the North Star for his vision of what Snapchat is, is the fastest way to communicate. Now, I mean, that's absurd, I think, on a number of levels, because number one, how do you even really quantify that? And number two, if, if you're going in there to try to actually be that one well, man, there are a lot of concepts already that have you beat on, on a lot of fronts there, not only in the size of the user base, but I'd venture to say they probably are even faster than Snapchat is. So I mean it now, is it a camera company? Is it a social network? Is it the fastest way to communicate? Nobody really knows. And then to Today uh, we see the the original content that they are gonna start wheeling out. And, and frankly, and as a as a total snap bear, I applaud them for that, I think. I mean, I think that is probably a low-cost way for them to, to boost engagement. Now, the flip side of that is if you look at the original content that's coming out, it's clearly marked for kids who are like between the ages of 13 and 20. Like there's nobody it's not of the age of 30, 35 years old. This just doesn't look like very relevant content for a big audience. And I think therein lies the big problem for Snapchat, is their audience size is very limited. And I don't know there's anything they can do to really change that other than possibly acquiring or developing a new app that does something else. Well, I'll tell you what Snap is.
2: <laughs> it is still almost a $9 billion company. which is When you think about the fact that it's lost roughly two-thirds of its value uh, actually more than two-thirds three quarters of its value since it IPO last year um, it's it's still a sizable company and and so even at six dollars and75 cents I'm looking at it right here there's still potentially a lot of downside to this business especially if, if, if we see the the user base continue to kind of flat plateau and fall off as we've seen I uh, yeah don't 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 go bottom fishing on this one at least that's my personal advice here I was just gonna say if Sears has taught us anything it's that a stock can always go lower oh, absolutely
1: gosh. and I think that you have to I mean there are a lot of lessons learned through um, a lot of the social oriented companies that IPO before snap did um, and I think one of the points to really note here is that setting this goal of becoming profitable in 2019 is a very very lofty goal when you consider the whole picture: number one, growth decelerating; number two, an extremely bloated cost structure; uh, and number three, a potential liquidity crisis. I mean, let's not let's not forget that. I mean, they they very well could run into a position where their balance sheet becomes a problem, and if they have to go through another capital raise, I mean, the market is going to punish this thing in the worst way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just don't see any reason why you would go in and buy this stock. I mean, I wouldn't even short it at this point either because it feels like the low-hanging fruit's been picked there too. Yeah. It's like in this twilight zone. You just we consider to make fun of it Mark market foolery a bit. I mean, like don't buy it, don't short it, just leave it alone. <laughs> just walk on yeah, by. Just Avoid. just watch and pay attention and kind of learn a lesson here or there. Uh just to wrap up,
0: uh when we started doing this show, the S&P 500 was around 1280. And today, even with the uh, the volatility and the drop that we're seeing, the S and P 500 is over 2,800. Nice run. It's a nice run. You're nice welcome, run. America. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't looking for Market Fuller to take credit for that, but you know, to the the larger point, just being the uh, the benefits of long-term investing, holding on, because certainly, since we started in January of 2011 to now, there have certainly been plenty of days like this. There have been plenty of days where we. You know, look at the market, and we just see a lot of red. And we look at our own portfolios, and we see a lot of red, and it's just like, oh boy! You uh, but over the long, tar- long term, uh, it, it tends to work out in the market. So, uh, I just want to say a couple of quick thank yous. First, thank you to you guys and all of the analysts who come here. Uh, because, as I like to point out from time to time, you're not paid to be here. And you come here anyway, so I appreciate that. Uh, thank you to our man behind the glass the workhorse, Dan Boyd, uh, who's produced uh, the overwhelming majority of these 1,500 episodes. Uh, And thank you, listening! Yes, you! Thank you to the dozens of listeners, whether you just started this year or you've been with us since 2011. Thank you for listening in your car, at home, taking a walk, doing your work, walking your dog, if you're at the gym, going for a run. Thank you for taking us with you. Thank you for choosing us to keep you company because you can listen to anything, and uh, we're we're aware of that, and we don't take that for granted. And um, I mentioned to someone I'm not going to say who I mentioned to someone that uh, we were doing our fifteen hundredth episode, and uh, this person, in the course of conversation, just uh, uh, sort of intimated uh, an end. Like wow, like essentially, like see, like when do you think you wrap up? And I was like, no, 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 we're 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 not wrapping yeah, up. Yeah,
1: let's we're, let's not do that.
0: Yeah, we're just getting started. Let's with look forward to the next 1,500. Yeah, with with, with oh, this yeah. and with all of the Motley Fool podcasts, uh, we're just getting started. So, uh, Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, guys, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.